1: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday to you and yours. we made it through another week. The weekend's here. I'm excited. You're excited. We're going to end the normal work week on a very high note. Although, you know, we got a Saturday show. So I'm not, this isn't really the end of the week, but it is the end of the week for for you guys. We'll have a Saturday show, a special treat for you, an interview uh, tomorrow with Leonidas Johnson, who's written a very uh, good book about critical race theory. So uh, be prepared for that tomorrow. Probably release that around noon Central Time. Uh, But before we get there, (laughs) this show we have today should be, if I don't blow it, if I don't blow it, this should be amazing. It should be incredible. It's, it's a little different uh, than our normal show. We're going to interview a very special guest uh, who's in the news cycle. And you're going to actually see me today do some old school journalism. So sit back and be prepared for a unique, outstanding show. Open your mind up to a conversation and some information and insight and a look at what's going on in America that will be a little bit different. One of the main reasons I tell people to watch this show, this is the arrogant me speaking, is I'm going to put you ahead of the conversation so that when you're out Friday, Saturday night, Sunday during the Super Bowl, and you're carrying on casual conversation, I'm going to give you little nuggets of information that's you can pass on and claim as your own that will put you ahead of the conversation of your friends and you'll be you'll be saying things like oh i didn't know that oh i hadn't thought of it that way oh that's what they're trying to do you can be the conversation starter and driver by watching this show and today is going to be a prime example of that but before i get into my fire starter a very special fire starter I want to tell you about uh, the people in the organization that has sparked a fire within my heart. Uh, This Valentine's month, we think of hearts and those we love. The heart tells us that we're alive. Before a baby is born, their heart will beat approximately 54 million times. So today we say Happy Valentine's to the over 200,000 babies that Preborn Pregnancy Network has rescued. It was your sweet heartbeat and the generosity of you that the pro-life community who made this possible. You see, when a mother is considering abortion and she hears that precious heartbeat and meets her baby on ultrasound, the majority of the time, she will choose life. Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats across the country. This Valentine's, you can give a mother the chance to choose life for her baby. Now, that's a better than a box of chocolates. $28 sponsors one ultrasound, and $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds, helping to rescue five babies' lives. 100% of your donation will go to saving babies. Will you share heartbeats this Valentine's? To donate, just just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Get involved today and dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby, or donate securely at preborn.com slash Jason. That's my favorite way to donate, preborn.com slash Jason. I got some emails today, this morning, from those of you uh, thanking me for turning you on to preborn. I wanna thank you for emailing me at fearlessblaze show at gmail.com and informing me that you have donated to preborn. It makes me feel good. It gives this show a purpose. And so, be a good fearless soldier preborn.com slash jason or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Let's save lives. <clears throat> All right. Today I'm going to unpack th- these are my this is my favorite kind of story. My favorite kind of journalism. It's the kind of story that I made my name on as a sports writer years ago back in Kansas City. I take popular media narratives and blow them up and and present you the reality that the the mainstream corporate media just won't do. This has been going on for decades. This isn't some new Donald Trump's not the first person that discovered fake news. It's great that now we all talk about it, but journalists have been doing this, real journalists have been doing this for a long time and it gives me great pleasure to do some of that today. Uh, let's get this party rolling. USA Today's Thursday front page story claims a single arrest for a drug possession in November 2007 ruined the life of Jawan Nile, a naive Chicago kid with big dreams 16 years ago. Above the fold, America's newspaper splashed a huge picture of Nile's sister, Chantelle grasping a necklace locket containing her deceased brother's ashes. Below the fold, accompanying the story, Chantelle is captured standing in the street holding a large framed photo of Jawan, who was murdered in 2020. The writer, a woman named Grace Houck, paints a tragic story of the journey that led to Juan's difficult life and premature demise at age 34, uh, writing, quote, Juan Now was a joker, a picky eater, and his mother's only son. Growing up, he dreamed of starting a landscaping business, but he never got the chance. Instead, a run-in with a Chicago police officer put him behind bars for a crime he didn't commit. It changed the course of his life, Jawan's family said. Now was charged with possession of cocaine in 2007 and sentenced to three years in prison. With a felony on his record, he was repeatedly denied jobs and apartments. Quoting his sister again, two years ago, just after he received his certificate of innocence. No, this is not quoting his sister. Two years, certificate of innocence and landed a job the father of three young kids was fatally shot. This is quoting his sister. He never got to his full potential because of what happened to him. It definitely led him to do other things, led him to get discouraged. That's what Chantel told USA Today. An arrest in 2007 ruined her brother's life, threw him off course. Do, do we got? This is according to USA Today. Houck's story then pivots to its villain, former Chicago Police Sergeant Ronald Watts and its hero, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. Again, quoting from the story. For almost a decade, Ronald Watts and his team preyed on innocent people at the Ida B. Wells Homes Public Housing Project where they extorted money and planted drugs and guns knowing their victims, largely black and low-income residents, wouldn't be believed," said Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. Now is one of nearly 200 people Fox has exonerated of criminal charges loosely, and I mean very loosely, related to Watts's work as a supervising sergeant in the Ida B. Wells area. In 2013, Watts and an underling pleaded guilty to stealing roughly $5,000 in government funds from an undercover informant. He served 20 months in federal prison. Since then, the guilty plea made him a pawn in the nationwide, highly popular criminal justice reform movement. The University of Chicago's Law School Exoneration Project and Kim Fox turned Ronald Watts into the face of police corruption in Chicago. Any criminal conviction or arrest Watts supervised or participated in, the Exoneration Project and Fox have basically deemed as wrongful convictions. As a state's attorney, Fox has tossed out hundreds of convictions, and cut the alleged victim's enormous checks. Shortly before his murder, Now's 2007 conviction was overturned. He received $70,000 for his trouble. Here's the problem, here's the plot twist. In the three years before the November 2007 arrest, that destroyed Juwan uh, Niles' life, Chicago police arrested Now on 10 different occasions. Let me repeat this. According to his sister in USA Today and the front page of America's national newspaper, in 2007, Niles was arrested or Nile was arrested and it ruined his life. They do not tell us that before that November 2007 arrest, in the three years before that, Juan Nile was arrested by Chicago police in a very small area, like three or four block area around Chicago in a three year span. He gets arrested 10 times. During an eight-month span in 2004, police arrested now for drug possession, disorderly conduct, theft, and possession with intent to distribute. The final arrest led to a one-year sentence. He was released in just a few months. Okay, you're following me? All right, so despite yo-yoing in and out of jail, in 2005 and 2006. So in 2005, he's yo-yoing in and out of jail. Police arrested Nile for possession of a controlled substance, heroin possession, and gun possession. The arrests were parole violations and led to more stints behind bars. In 2007, before Nile's life-offering arrest loosely involving Watts, Police pop Nile for possession of less than two grams of dope and twice for trespassing. So according to USA Today, if you're following this, it was Juwan Nile's 11th arrest that ended his dream of starting a landscaping company and mowing lawns across Chicago. The 11th arrest ended his dream of mowing lawns across Chicago. Today, on this show, Ronald Watts is going to defend himself and explain what's going on in Chicago as it relates to the criminal justice reform movement and police corruption. Ronald Watts has never consented to an interview. He now resides in Arizona. He's a defendant in a class action lawsuit that seeks hundreds of millions of dollars from the Chicago Police Department and the city of Chicago. I talked extensively Thursday night with Watts. We discussed the USA Today story and the other innocent victims depicted in Grace Houck's fictional narrative. In Houck's telling, Watts is the infamous Denzel Washington character in the movie Training Day. He's Alonzo Harris, a dirty cop who bullied the poor while enriching himself and his co-workers. Watts characterizes himself as a patsy for the political aspirations of Fox, the Democrat Party, and a movement to undermine and disrupt the criminal justice system. Fox is using this Solely to advance her career is what ronald watts told me yesterday like a lot of these progressive politicians They don't really care about the working poor She only wants to score points with the progressive base to use that reputation That false reputation for higher office like dick Durbin's seat or some big law firm job the thing is that this is my real life, these lies impact me and my loved ones, it's wrong, it's evil. That's what Watts told me yesterday. Watts passionately defended his work and the work of his peers as Chicago police officers. This is what he told me yesterday, he's gonna be on this show shortly live, but this is what he told me yesterday. The Ida B. Wells was an open-air drug market and everyone knew it the politicians, everyone. The officers that I supervised went down there to help the residents, the people you aren't hearing from. These drug dealers, plain victim, were the victimizers. They made those buildings dangerous and almost unlivable. They generally obstructed the lives of the working poor blacks uninvolved in the drug trade. That's the truth, but evil don't care about the truth. That was yesterday. Now, let me be clear here. I don't know the truth of the crime Watts pleaded to in 2013. I'll ask him to explain during our public interview today. What I do know is the USA Today story is as sloppy and unprofessional of a story as I've ever read. It takes the word of convicted criminals as fact without any resistance. Midway through Hawke's story, she writes about Larry Lomax, another alleged victim of Watts' corrupt policing. The story claims that in January of 2003, Lomax left his job to deliver cash to his brother who was dying of thyroid cancer. Did, did you, you caught all that? According to USA Today, The innocent Larry Lomax, I believe he's 45 years old at the time. His brother's dying of cancer and he's left work to go take cash to his brother who lives in the Ida B Wells housing project. I mean, it's just pulling at your heartstrings. Larry Lomax is just always just trying to save his dying brother. And so here's what USA Today, here's what Grace Halk wrote. Lomax was walking up the ramp of his brother's building when officers grabbed him from behind, beat him, knocked out some of his teeth, and took the money. Now, Watts was at the scene of Lomax's arrest, but I don't think there's been any allegations that he was one of the officers that allegedly beat him. And then, so the story then goes on to say, at the police station, Lomax asked an officer what he'd been charged with. He says, Watts told me that if I would say that the guys I was arrested with had been selling drugs and that I had seen them with the drugs, they would let me go. That's what Lomax said in a sworn affidavit that uh, Kim Fox used to exonerate him. Compelled by Lomax's retelling, in 2020, Fox exonerated Lomax's drug possession conviction for which he received a two month sentence and two years probation at the time. Larry Lomax, in 2003, caught with drugs, according to the police, two year probation, two month sentence. Two month sentence, two year probation. The exoneration of the 2003 crime came with a $40,000 paycheck to Larry Lomax. Kim Fox, and this whole exoneration movement, she's on. $40,000 to Larry Lomax. Two years, two, two months locked up in 2003, and two years probation, 2003. That's $40,000 in 2020. Here's the problem. Larry Lomax's criminal record stretches back to 1975, and it includes disorderly conduct, aggravated battery with great bodily harm, and multiple arrests for drug possession. Ronald Watts told me yesterday he's a hype. A hype is slang for a drug addict. Court documents from 2003 reveal Lomax stating under oath during a plea hearing that the possession charges against him were true and that he was acting as a rooster slash lookout as drugs were being sold. He stated this under oath. The judge asked him several times if he disagreed with any of the allegations against him, this is all on record stated. Lomax objected to prosecutors describing him as a drug user and he said it was inaccurate to say he personally knew the main higher up defendants in the drug case. Those were his objections. I'm not a drug user and I don't know these other two guys that got serious charges. He never disputed his role in the crime until word spread nearly two decades later that Kim Fox was routinely exonerating convictions supervised by Ronald Watts. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has even objected to Fox's exoneration assembly line. Here's a quote from Lori Lightfoot, a Democrat, mayor of Chicago. I don't mean to cast aspersions on Kim Fox and her team, but they're handing out certificates of innocence like they're candy. And we have worked hard to help educate them on the challenge that puts us in. We've got some police officers who are now afraid to go into court and give testimony. So, while building a resume as a police reformer, and rehabilitating her reputation from the Jussie Smollett hoax fiasco. Fox is going to personally bankrupt Chicago in the process. Remember, go go Google Kim Fox and Jussie Smollett and how she handled that and how she embarrassed herself and had to take a bunch of heat for the whole Jussie Smollett deal. She's been embarrassed in this R. Kelly deal. She's got a very shady history. She's using this exoneration deal to build her resume. She's a crime fighter. She's fighting police corruption. Listen, one career criminal, Ben Baker, received $188,000 from Fox and the University of Chicago Law School's Criminal Reparations Project. Baker used the money to buy drugs from a DEA informant. He was just recently re-released from prison. The coalition among corporate media, liberal universities, and leftist politicians have wreaked havoc in Chicago and Illinois for decades. Northwestern's prestigious Medill School of Journalism was instrumental in overturning the death penalty in the state. Northwestern's Innocence Project freed Anthony Porter from death row in 1999 by framing another man for the murders Porter clearly committed. Working in conjunction with the Chicago media, the Innocence Project used the publicity around Porter's wrongful conviction to pressure then-Governor George Ryan to enact a statewide moratorium on executions in 2000. Days before leaving office, Ryan granted clemency to every Illinois prisoner on death row. In 2011, the state abolished the death penalty. George Ryan credited Northwestern students and Anthony Porter Porter for his actions. Ryan is quoted as saying, he was exonerated by Northwestern students. Here's the problem. Investigators eventually prove that the professor leading the Innocence Project and a private investigator framed Al story Simon and coerced the mentally challenged man into a false confession. You can go look it up yourself. You can go watch it this weekend. A 2014 documentary, A Murder in the Park, exposed the unscrupulous tactics used to free Anthony Porter and convict Al Story Simon. The doc is brilliant. I watched it years ago. It explains how death penalty abolitionists used a violent murderer, Porter, to sway political and public opinion about the death penalty. Al Story Simon spent 15 years in prison for a murder he did not commit. Upon his release, Simon sued the Medill School of Journalism and settled for an undisclosed amount. Are are, are you tying this all together? What we're seeing with Ronald Watts is not new. It's standard operating procedure for leftists trying to promote criminal justice reform. They find a patsy, a liberal university, and a handful of woke journalists to create a false narrative and stir up public outrage. Then they let political opportunists ride the wave of outrage to institute resume building policies. George Ryan, he ended the death penalty in Illinois. Kim Fox is giving career criminals large stimulus checks while fixing corrupt police departments. She'll use her reformer reputation to advance her career. Nothing will improve for Chicago taxpayers. More criminals on the street, less respect for authority and law enforcement. America inches one step closer to calling itself a failure, writing a new constitution, federalizing policing, and embracing Marxism. All because Ronald Watts framed Jawan Now, Larry Lomax, and so many other innocent young men. This is what Ronald Watts had to say to me yesterday. And we're gonna hear from him in real time here very soon. This is his final st- statement he said to me yesterday. Framing has a legal definition, doesn't it? Kim Fox is Cook County's lead attorney, isn't she? She should know better. How could I have framed any of these people when I didn't determine probable cause to arrest them, I didn't arrest them, I didn't draft any reports of the arrest, I didn't charge them with any offenses. I didn't speak to the prosecuting body about the arrest. I didn't testify at the grand jury or preliminary hearings regarding the arrest. For a lot of these arrests, I wasn't there. And if I was there, it was solely in a supervisory role. These people weren't framed. They were a blight on the community. The men and women that I supervised were good officers who wouldn't frame people. Are are you following what's happening? And this is all across America. It's not limited to Chicago. It's not limited to the state of Illinois. You can best see it there, and there's a long history of it. But the lengths, the gimmicks, the framing of people in order to stir up public outrage and justify the complete overturn of our criminal justice system. There's a pattern here. This whole, everywhere you look, it's like everybody's agreed, oh, there must be criminal justice reform. Our criminal justice system is broken. Why are they basing all these big stories on lies? If the death penalty is so wrong, why did it take a murderer? Eyewitness accounts telling you Anthony Porter was there and did it. Anthony Porter's reputation telling you that he did it. In order to overturn the death penalty, you had to go get someone who actually murdered somebody and deserved to be on death row. And then, not only that, then you had to frame, a guy, and I've watched the documentary, uh, A Murder in the Park. The guy they framed, borderline retarded, certainly mentally challenged, framed him sprung Anthony Porter out of prison after 17 years, put this man in prison for 15 years, before, it, and thanks to this documentary, was part of the reason our uh, story, Simon got out of prison. But if the criminal justice system is this broken, why is, are the reforms, why is it necessary to lie? To enact the reforms that that we need, you shouldn't have to frame an innocent person. You shouldn't have to spring a guilty person to enact laws and policies that make the world more fair. Truth can't be based on lies. And now we're taking, and and, we'll talk to Ronald Watts, I'll ask him about the charge he pled guilty to, but that, that's in 2013, and then they start coming in 15 and 16 and 17 with these additional investigations, and now anything that he was remotely attached to is justification for throwing out convictions of people that have long, shady criminal histories. And we have to pretend like this sergeant, a desk sergeant, a supervising sergeant, is somehow a mastermind of a police criminal ring, and, and everything that he touched in any capacity has to be thrown out, and we have to cut major checks to, to these guys. And we have to then go sell mythical stories, fictional stories to USA Today, and again, USA Today is not the only one that's been writing about this. This story has been in the news for two or three years. The Chicago newspapers are all over it. Again, Ronald Watts is Alonzo Harris. He's the worst cop, he's Vic Mackey, he's the worst cop who's ever existed. And, and there's headlines and stories all, oh, Ronald Watts just threw everybody in the Ida B. Wells, home. he threw them all in prison and they were all on their way to owning landscaping companies and mowing lawns all over the state of Illinois. If not for Ronald Watts, do you know how good the grass would look in Chicago? We'll take a break and we'll come back uh, with Ronald Watts. Hey, Before I go, I'm just gonna be real quick. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Wanna see you guys here uh, for roll call. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. It's going to take men to fix the problems that we have in America. It's going to take men standing with Christ to fix the lies that are tearing down this country. Don't just hear this story and get outraged and do nothing. Come to Nashville, get, hear about what real men need to do, should do, and then let's carry that attitude and that behavior back to our communities and let's start making change. We're gonna kick off that process in April right here in Nashville. I need you here. Uh, Ronald Watts. Next just 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 atheists the secular world the culture uses our imperfection our sins to take shut up you you're you can't stand on truth and if all it was was imperfection it eliminated us from standing on truth this would be a very quiet place I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy mercy, gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture and we have to do that. You can look around and say,
0: these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president, Is transgender surgery for children, colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're going to stop fighting today and you're going to let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl, and you're gonna let them make the Bible, hate speech, you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for, I'm telling you. So it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it.
1: The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and they are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here.
0: Sometimes just standing up, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, If we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ, I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men, once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out.
1: You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone. Be confident in your position, and we're going to inspire you. We're going to eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's going to be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're going to put out our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, welcome back. Let's get right to it. Let's go out to Arizona and bring in Ronald Watts, former uh, police sergeant in the Chicago Police Department, supervised the Ida B. Wells Homes area projects, notorious on the south side of Chicago. Uh, Ronald, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I I wanna get right into it but first thing I gotta ask you is you haven't spoken to the media for years you've never done an interview why are you willing to talk today
2: well Jason first thanks for having me and the reason I'm willing to talk today is because of all the bad press and they're just muddying everything else uh, muddying everything up, they've been uh, just hammering me uh, with falsehoods, untruths, and lies over the past uh, ten years, really. So, uh, in, a, in an effort just to for for my sanity, for 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 the truth, I, I think it's about time for me to say something because you know you have uh, officials, you know, who people really. Uh, really believe when you see these officials on television and they make these statements, people believe that because they have no other uh, outlet. So I just thank you for, uh, you know, having the courage to, uh, to let me speak today.
1: I don't think I'm showing much courage. I just think I'm being a journalist. I think you're taking the risk here. and, And I'm wondering if, if you're aware of that or understand that, that, they seem to have you in the crosshairs and seem to want to make you the Lee Harvey Oswald or, or or, you know, they'd like to throw back a bus up over top of you. And so by defending yourself, it may motivate them even
2: more to come after you. Are you are you aware of that? Uh, I, I've been aware they, they've already stripped me of everything that I've I worked on. Uh, on the department for 18 years. I went to the military. i uh I've uh, I've never had any. Uh, I, I've never been arrested. I, I've never. Uh, uh, done anything outside, but being hardworking and take care of my family. They placed me in a position where I couldn't take care of my family. I couldn't speak up. I, I lost, uh, I had a home on the South side of Chicago that I had invested in. I had a piece of property on the South side of Chicago that I had invested in. I had good tenants. I had good neighbors. I had people who trusted me and, uh, you know, uh, they, uh, they've already taken it. So, you, you know, uh, Uh, What can they do to me next? You know, uh, uh, I have to if if they come after me, I have to defend myself. I know how to defend myself.
1: Ronald, you
2: you made a statement
1: that, you know, and I was going to go there regardless whether you made the statement or not. You said you've never been arrested, but you have been arrested. You pled guilty in 2013 to. I think taking five thousand dollars from a DEA informant or a FBI informant. What? 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 Can you unpack that story? Why did you plead guilty? What did they accuse you of? Help us understand that story.
2: And and, and I and when I said I had never been arrested, I was, I was in my mind, I was leading up to that. Uh, before that yeah. incident, uh, uh, that incident came about. Because of some uh, investigative work that we were doing on the south side into the narcotics trade, and um, an officer on the department uh, actually took something, and um, and uh, he was under he you know he was under my leadership, and uh, we got uh, we got caught up into to where he took something, and I got um, charged with conspiracy conspiracy to uh, commit a theft because I they in their terms I benefited from it because he gave the statement that he shared the proceeds with me. So uh, in the interest of uh, my family and uh, you know uh, the the way things would look the way things are we're looking for uh, even now today if you're the police <laughs> you know. Um, it's 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 very d- difficult when you're placed in a situation like that. So at the time, I made a choice. I made the choice. No one forced me. Uh, I made the choice f- to uh, end that uh, saga by uh, the best way I, I I thought at the time. But 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 let me say this. Through these uh, lawsuits and all the discovery now, when we go back over all the so-called evidence they had at the time. And the so-called investigations into me and the criminal access, if I had any of the information that we have now through a complete discovery, I would have never, they had no, they had no case, they had no evidence, they, what they had was an officer who was willing to testify against me. That's what they had. I
1: would you supervise that officer. You knew that officer. W- were you guys enemies, friends or just typical co-workers? Why do you think he would
2: testify to that if it was untrue? I knew that officer very well. I knew his family. I knew his children. Uh, I knew his brothers. I knew his sisters. I knew him very well. I called him uh, not just a co-worker, but a friend. Uh, He had got into some things uh, outside of uh, things that I I wasn't aware of until discovery. He got into a lot of things and uh, that's for him to deal with. Uh, It's it's uh, a lot of it is public record. Um, uh, They have that evidence. They know. uh, uh, And when I say they I mean the Chicago Police Department, the FBI, they have all those records and they know what I did. They know what I didn't do and they know what he did. And it was one of those things and where you got, someone gets go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. It was one of those things where someone, you know, gets jammed up and you know, I I he made a deal. He made a deal in his best interest. I'll just I'll just say that.
1: And so and and we're gonna move on, but I, I just have to be fair and do due diligence and ask you these questions and because and, one understand. I want to understand uh, people will hear this and say okay he pled to this and so it's like most people will be like well they'll catch a criminal for one thing but there's 20 other things they've gotten away with and and so that generally is the pattern. Criminals don't get caught the first time. They normally get caught the 13th time or 14th time. They've gotten away with the behavior. And so, what What would you say to people that say, well, if he pled to this, there there has to be more to the story. He couldn't have been walking the straight and narrow, uh, or, or if, I mean, if this was a one-off, one-time incident and, and someone that close to you is willing to uh, bring you into the situation, it it, it would make people think you had to be doing
2: something. Now, what I would say to people is that when they look at my record on its own, I had been under investigation for years, not just this one time, for years there have been several investigations by the Chicago Police Department Internal Affairs Division, by the FBI. All of those, all of those investigations, to my knowledge, came out unfounded. Nothing to them. This one, if 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 they had had something, you tell me if they had had something against me, they had had more than. Than this, and uh, they have me down as being like as as I see in your title, like training day. If they had something in other theft, theft of of what they say, uh, fifty two hundred dollars, theft of fifty two hundred dollars, and re- and really they, they, they couldn't account for it because they had some uh, some drug addict who who was their CI. Uh, it ended up uh, being forty eight hundred dollars that they uh, they said because they said. Uh, he ended up with four hundred dollars, and at and, and even with that, forty-eight hundred dollars is not a felony. Uh, it's not a felony. So it was the FBI and those prosecutors that was pushing this because we all know. We all know that it's an anti-police uh, atmosphere in this country now. We all know that prosecutors, whether uh, local they federal they feel it's a a, a a feather in their cap if they can uh prosecute and convict a police officer uh they look at their careers they look at and stuff like, they don't look at the truth they don't look for the truth and and that's what i wanted them to do in that case and they didn't do it so
1: you said that you were under investigation for a long stretch even before this. Is that commonplace among Chicago police to be under that type of scrutiny and under investigation? To to, uh, a novice or someone out, a civilian, that would seem like, well, why do they keep looking at this guy? Where there's smoke, there must be fire.
2: The area where I policed the Adderby Wells Housing Development was an open-air drug market. There's a lot of people that's benefiting from it. And I'm not tooting my horn or anything, but I was a very aggressive sergeant. I had a very aggressive team. Not only did I police in that area, but I lived in that area at one time. That was was my community. Was things going on in that area that I was offended by, I was hurt by. You know, these guys took over buildings where kids couldn't go to school in the morning because of narcotic sales. They took over the buildings on certain days where the citizens couldn't take their groceries up on the elevators because the drug dealers would hold the elevators in case the police came so they could holler and jump on the elevator and have a head start uh, on the police. It was those type of activities that uh, that led me to be as aggressive as i was and to be down there in the in the face yeah i was down there in their face i was always i was i was patrolling i advised and i led men and women who were who who felt uh the same as i did and down there you didn't uh again it was open air you know these guys were were, were they were bold and, and, and what and what uh another thing uh when you have people that benefit from it, not just the drug dealers that benefit from it I'm talking about other people in the community there's no telling everybody knew it was an open air uh drug market so people complained against me yeah because i was I was effective in their profits so so you tell me if everybody knew it if everybody knew it there were other investigations done by um by the narcotic units and the same people who are making these allegations against me now were arrested back then by other units in drug and drug uh, in narcotics uh, uh, investigations. So uh, you asked me uh, why they did all these investigations, because there were people who I affected their bottom line and they would make frivolous charges. Then like they're making, Uh, frivolous charges now. And once you look into it, you'll see what I'm talking about, about the fraudulent in these uh, lawsuits that's pending against me now.
1: You know, you just opened my eyes and and gave me an epiphany in terms of I I get where you're coming from now. And I get why. Because when you first said, hey, I was under investigation for a long time, I, I was like, That's an odd statement to make, but what you're actually saying is, and I get it now, and I want the audience to understand it, is that if you're in an open drug market that's generating that kind of money, and there's that much criminality, that, and you're doing a good job of affecting people's bottom line, you're going to be under investigation, because I'm not asking you to say this, but because I, I don't want to put words in your mouth and I don't want to get you in trouble, but when you start talking about who's all making money from it, some of them are politicians. Some of them are people of power in that area that have the perception of being the good guys, and they would complain to you. Well, who's the guy that's causing us problems and, and hurting our uh, bottom line, and how can we get rid of him? I, I and so I don't even blame you for bragging because what you're basically saying is, yeah, I was doing such a good job, I was generating a lot of complaints, and and there was a lot of pressure on people to investigate me, and he's got to be doing so. I I get it. I I I I get your point of view, and then so they 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 put you away for 22 months or give you a 22 month sentence in 2013. When did they, and how did they pivot to, well, anything that uh, Ronald Watts was involved in must be under scrutiny and we can throw out uh, any conviction loosely related to Ronald Watts. When did they pivot to, okay, he's the face of police corruption and let's throw out 20 convictions and and any criminal that comes in with a story, we got a check for you and we're going to exonerate you. When did they pivot to that after you got out of prison or did this start in 2012, 13, 14, 15? When did that start?
2: Well, I I can say this. Uh, I think the initial uh, lawsuits uh, started in about 2016 and the, uh, the initiators of it was a uh, uh, known drug dealer by the name of Ben Baker and uh, his I don't know if she they're legally married. But it's, it says his wife, Clarissa Glenn, who have she she's been on the circuit and uh, she's been the face of being victimized by me and my team. And uh, uh, they were. They were very active in the drug trade down in the Adderby Wells housing development and building five five twenty seven east on Browning. They were very active. And what I'm saying, what I'm saying, uh, uh, the citizens down there, they know um, uh, they know who all these people are who are now bringing lawsuits against uh, myself and the hardworking officers that I did supervise in the city of Chicago. Uh, that they want the, the the taxpayers' money for for nothing. Uh, these people, uh, they're not victims at all. The true victims are those citizens that live down there that worked over uh, on Thirty Fifth Street at Popeyes Chicken and and. Uh, and Dunkin' Donut and the Walgreens, and they couldn't come home at a certain time because of all the activity there. And guys wouldn't let them. And I'm talking about grown men who chose to go to work, but they had to wait for a certain time. Even if they weren't working, they had to wait to come into the area because the guys down there they were so involved in the drug trade that you know they didn't, if you weren't working for them or with them, they didn't want you in the area they took they took hold of this community. And so me and my mindset was like I'm the police. I'm going to try to help these people. And what I'm telling you there's there's a long trail of paperwork on it. I did I did um several what we call reverse things down there. Where people we had people coming from Indiana all over to to buy drugs down there. Again, it was an open air. We've uh, not just myself, but other sergeants, tactical sergeants, they use their, the resources there to, to help, to try and help the people. And now those same people who were selling dope down there that took over the community, those are the ones that that's now suing. Those are the ones that that's been given um, taxpayer money from uh, being released uh, exonerated by Kim Fox Kim Fox goes on TV and she 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 calls me all out all out of my name. she calls me everything but a child of God how how bad I am and every one of those exonerations that she's done someone should ask her had she vetted those? Because me as a, a a police, if before I release someone, I have to do an investigation to see if there was a crime committed. She didn't vet him. She went off an affidavit that they sat down with their attorneys and they came up with. And all of if you look at those affidavits, because I've seen them, because I've been deposed five times, I've showed up five times for depositions. How many times have? Have, have they showed up for depositions? How many times have Kim Fox showed up for a deposition stating why she's exonerating these people? I've, if they call me, I'm always so, there because I, I know the truth is on my side. I know I'm stating the truth.
1: You told me yesterday that In the overwhelming majority of these cases that are all being attributed to you, USA Today and all these players, he's responsible for 200 exonerations. You told me that you you weren't involved with the overwhelming majority of these cases, or all you did was check a box and approve probable cause reports or... Whatever arrest reports that your underlings uh, put together, you weren't on the scene. You weren't that. You weren't really involved. But I, I guess the accusation is you were telling your underlings who to arrest, who to harass. I, I, I don't. And, and somehow y'all were profiting off of this. It, it hasn't been fully explained. I, I get the the 2013 is unrelated to these allegations they're, they're doing now, but walk us through in your view, explain to me how you were uninvolved and, and just your with even the Larry Lomax or the Jawan now walk us through your involvement with these cases that are being blamed on you that you allegedly masterminded.
2: First and foremost, uh, to my last count, I, I, I saw it was about a, over 157 exonerations. Out of those 157 exonerations, uh, I think I was I may have arrested maybe one, may, maybe two. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say two. The other ones either I was in the area uh, on a, as a supervisor, or all I did was I went over reports as a supervisor on the Chicago police department. That's what you have to do. You have to approve reports. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not approving these reports saying I did anything. I'm approving these reports stating that the officer has probable cause to arrest the individual. And there's a, and even after I approve them, there's another layer to go through before the the person is actually placed in in, uh, lockup, those documents which I approve have to be approved by uh, the watch commander. He has to approve them stating that there's probable cause enough to uh, lock this charge and lock this guy up. So if, in my mind, being the police, if they are saying that I'm responsible for this. They should charge the watch commander (laughs) because all he did was the same thing I did. He did his duty. So they're saying, for me doing my duty, I'm responsible for guys like Larry Lomax or this guy, Juwan Niles. I'm responsible for changing their lives. Guys that have had Five and six convictions for the same offense, drug-related offenses. Five and six of them before this one. Before they were arrested, not by Sergeant Watts, but by uh, one of the tactical officers on Sergeant Watts' team, who was in an area where he was assigned to that area to to suppress the gang drug and uh, gun activity in that area. So, because of what happened to me. In 2013, they go back to. I'm telling you, they've went back to 2000 at least 2004, probably for arrest that guys that are no, weren't even or were no longer my uh, on my tactical team had went on to do other things in their career, but because those guys was on Sergeant Watt's tag team. Uh, back in two thousand and four, you know what the, the 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 city of Chicago had to do? They had to put those guys on d- desk duty because Kim Fox stated that those guys were incapable of testifying in court, not because of something they had did, but she said because the officers didn't do anything wrong in their arrest. Their arrest was good arrest, but they, but what, and, and I, I think you wrote an article uh, in, in the article, you stated it because I, I did tell you about it. It said because of an unknown, unknown association with Sergeant Watts, unknown. What does unknown mean? It means no evidence. It means she's doing it because she can. It means she's doing it because she has a motive for doing it. And the motive is to advance her own career. That's the only outcome I can see. It's not helping the citizens of Chicago. Since, I, since they got rid, rid of me in 2013, it's still, it's still um, drug sales in that area. It's still homicides in that area. People are scared to go to the gas station because it's carjackings in that area.
1: You, you you say her motivations are political and, and I, I I I don't really doubt that these guys are all trying to advance their careers. But but I also think like and, and I, I walk people in my story today, like there's a long history of these journalism schools and liberal universities wanting to undermine. The criminal justice system and revolutionize the criminal justice system, and and I, I I just in talking to you yesterday, I just off the top of my head, I was like, hey, I remember that uh, Anthony Porter story, and and how they used that to overturn the death penalty in the state of Illinois, and and it made me instantly think of you, and I would just walk the viewers through. Anthony Porter and how they framed this Al Story Simon, who was a mentally challenged guy, and, and framed him, put him in prison for something Anthony Porter had clearly done. And and it made me think of you, and just like, you're just a pawn in a bigger game for people that not just want to advance their political careers, but they want to change the criminal justice system and further undermine respect for authority and law enforcement. Can you see that, that that no one really cares about you? It's they have a bigger agenda that they're chasing.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because when have you ever heard of a police officer uh, being charged and convicted of a theft charge, a theft of $5,200. I didn't say $52 million. I didn't say 52000 $5,200, $5,200. And now, because of that, a nonviolent crime, mind you, a nonviolent crime. They are releasing known drug dealers with convictions, Back to 1975, during my depositions, they questioned me about uh, homicides and uh, guys that were charged with gun charges because they are so uh, they don't care about the people in those communities. No, they care about their um, they, they care about their agenda and their agenda is to undermine law enforcement to change the whole system. So they're even willing, they're even willing to release murderers. They're willing to release guys that with gun convictions. And and I, I surmise that through my depositions.
1: One thing that I think, and this isn't just related to Chicago, it's like when I look at, uh, the whole nationwide focus on criminal justice reform. And we got to do anything we can to help criminals get it. And, and, and I don't want to drag you into all of my controversies, but I even look at just like, hmm, I got to be careful because I don't want to drag you into my controversies. But even like the whole George Floyd thing and Derek Chauvin was wrong but like George Floyd ain't Martin Luther King. George Floyd was no saint. And and so I'm not gonna ask you to comment on George Floyd, but I do want you to comment on this. It feels like to me nationwide gangs are in control, and that politicians and the whole system is catering to gangs. And, and and catering the system to service gang members and their operations is that how rank and file law enforcement feels cuz that's how it feels and looks to me
2: for, I'll, I'll speak on it from this aspect for a long time before 2013 when i was when, when i pled guilty and i left the department for a long time officers sergeants, lieutenants, captains, yes, everybody feels like their hands are tied because you almost had to be careful about who you policed because, you know, this might be someone that has influence with a certain politician or a certain group of individuals and you just couldn't, you know, you just couldn't police. You have to be careful about who you police. Uh, And and that's the department. And a lot of times uh, uh, the members of of, and I'm sure it happens in other departments. A lot of officers would really say, hey, uh, you know, it's 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 not worth it for me. You're going to have guys to sit down. I'm not saying I'm not saying one minute. that police officers out there, good police officers are sitting down on the job. Oh, they're still they're still out there policing but it's a hesitation there because I could lose everything because this guy is connected to people like Kim Fox. This guy is, uh, uh, they know somebody. So, uh, I, you know, they know somebody. I, ca- I, I can't, I can't police this guy. It, so I have to, I have to be hesitant. In, in, in my case. I know why this, uh, like I like I said, you know, the amount of money and, and I'm not just saying this, it's 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 proven, it's record. DEA has the evidence, Chicago Police Officers, uh, Chicago Police Department have the evidence that those one building alone down there at one time was making up to forty thousand dollars a day. One building alone was making forty thousand dollars a day and and then they had the audacity to contribute that to me that I was on the take taking that's this part of the investigation saying I was taking $5,000 a day for about a 10 year period down in Atterby Wells <laughs> any a, anybody uh, uh have a calculator or have a half a brain think about how much money that is and I think they, that's a couple you know, million
1: dollars. Yeah, but someone so, do the math: five thousand dollars a day.
2: That's for I, over ten years. It's one point eight and look, million.
1: Yeah.
2: Now this is the same guy that they they've had under the investigation. That they've run the the uh, the fin the fin checked on the, every bank account I ever had, every savings account I ever had. Uh, anywhere my, I know where my money went. My money went to my family, educating my children. Uh, helping relatives, I know where my money went, you know. And they, and you're looking at a guy who they investigated for that long. I was a sergeant on the police department. I worked for. Um, I had a, a side job that I worked, and I worked every um, every one of my off days that I could with the Chicago Police Department, working CTA or or um, they call it like the like those units that go out. They need extra units in certain area. You go out and you flood the area. It's all documented. They know. They, they know. But but nobody will say anything. Not anybody on the Chicago Police Department. Not anybody on, on the Sergeant's Association. Those associations that take people money and do nothing for them. Uh, just like the FOP who's not representing those those guys. Those guys that went out and did a heck of a job while on my team. Uh they have them sitting behind desks where they can't they can't uh, uh, make money for their family outside of just the the, the the their uh their regular paychecks. Where those guys would be able to have side jobs and work extra uh, extra hours, overtime hours. They can't do that because they're sitting behind a desk. Why? Because that's where Kim Fox wants them. Because they were once members of Sergeant Watts' team. And I'm telling you i'm I'm not just saying this is public record. They have up to I think that last time I counted because uh you know a lot of those guys had uh been on my team and went and did other things, it was up to like seventeen police officers that could be out on seventeen really good police officers well trained, aggressive, know the communities, know how to deal with those type of people. They have them sitting behind desks why they haven't been they haven't been charged with anything those officers
1: well it feels like again they don't want to stop anything they want chaos they want the gangs to be in control so i read the usa today story and and <laughs> that's even without talking to you it just set off alarm bells because it's just like Everything is told from the family's perspective, the alleged victim's perspective. There's no balance, there's no vetting of anything. And, and so, and then when I went and did some research on Jawan Now, I'm just like, holy cow. They built this entire story as the jumping off point Jawan Now, They got his sister on the cover of USA Today, and, uh you know it's all this one single incident ruined his whole life and and they no mention of his arrest record before all of that and so i'm wondering when you read the article and and there's a lot more in the article there's a bunch of other people mentioned but when you read the article what was your reaction what were you thinking
2: you know i thought here it goes again, because uh Mr. Whitlock that's not the first article I've read like that. there are several papers out there that have written articles uh without uh any facts uh they they they're doing that article reminded me of what Kim Fox is doing they're not vetting anything they're exonerating uh People without, hey, they're exonerating people without even speaking with the officer who was involved in the arrest. And a lot of those, um, it, it's easy. She was involved in the court system. You can go to the court system. Those guys pled guilty, just like I pled guilty. And a lot of those instances where they pled guilty, the judge, at least the judge did his due diligence, had them raise their hand and swear that they were telling the truth. So now back then they swore to tell the truth so they could get probation or a lesser sentence. They And now they're saying, well, I, it was true back then, but it's not true now because I can get paid. If I say Sergeant Watts put dope on me because that's the, that's the ticket. They said Sergeant Watts and Sergeant Watts didn't arrest anyone. Sergeant Watts never went to court. Sergeant Watts never testified. Showed up at any hearings unless I was subpoenaed. And I don't recall any of these guys. Me being subpoenaed to to, for anything related to their arrest. Uh, Do you remember Jawan Nile at all? I don't remember Juwan now. I uh uh Mr. Whitlock, uh not only was I a sergeant of police in that area, but I policed that area as a patrolman. And my record speaks for itself with all the narcotic arrests, gun arrests, um, and then supervising hundreds, maybe even into the thousands of arrests of not just my tag team, but other tactical teams that I was responsible for, uh, because remember on the on the Chicago Police Department, if if a sergeant takes vacation and uh, his tag team is working this at, on the same tour of duty as my tag team, then and they don't they don't bring in a replacement sergeant. No, that sergeant that there covers two teams. So now, you're telling me. What about all those arrests that I covered for other teams? Those guys aren't set down. Those those people aren't being uh, uh, given exonerations. And all I did was the same thing I did for guys on my team. I I signed their reports.
1: You told me a story yesterday. I don't know if I should ask what I'm going at. <laughs> that you heard from people that uh, I think it was 39th Street, you said they have a, a picnic or celebration. And they announced over the deal that, hey, if you've ever been arrested on anything involving Sergeant Watts, here's the lawyers you should contact uh, to be involved with this lawsuit Is is. Yeah. am i remembering that story correctly
2: uh yeah I, out in washington park uh every year they have a picnic uh it's called uh the 39th Street picnic for people that grew up in the uh, Daryl homes and Adderby wells uh housing development so all those people come together and they have a really good time uh i uh I was out there I had to um I had to work that picnic one time and uh you know, it's uh, a lot of good people that live there. They're, they're hurt by this too, and they know what's going on because they know the drug dealers because they lived in an area. And I happen to have contact with uh, a few people from time to time, whether I'm in Chicago or. But they told me at the picnic that they actually announced if you've ever been arrested by Watts or his team. You should get in contact with these attorneys. You can get paid is, is the way they told it to me. You can get paid. And they have been it's getting amazing. paid. Yeah. When you it, look
1: at uh, the... Well, I, I want to... You, you, you guys, we talked yesterday uh Oh, you, you and I talked yesterday about Ben Baker and the guy, he got $188,000 and then shortly thereafter turned around and spent some of that money uh, with a DEA informant buying drugs, went back to prison, and I believe just got out of prison again in October of last year. This, this, this just seems, inc- I think Larry Lomax got $40,000 and he did two months. And, and there's court documents from 2003 with him admitting to his behavior, objecting to some small, inconsequential things, never objecting to, yeah, I had to dope on me, yeah, I was, I, 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 just, I was reading this stuff and I'm just like, this is mind-blowing that all you have to do is run down and concoct a story and put it on an affidavit and they will cut you a check this is going to bankrupt chicago this is this is killing the taxpayers
2: no yes it is and so now what what will happen here is you have those people that are gonna defend people like Kim Fox because you know politically or or they benefit from her and through her some type of way you know you're going to have those naysayers but I'm here not because I'm against Kim Fox or anything I I, you know it's not my business what the, the state of Illinois does anymore it's not I don't even live in that state so but so you'll have those people and they'll say, well, it, it was you. It was, it's your fault. You're the one that got arrested. You're the one. No, it's not my fault. It's not my fault at all. I don't have the authority. I don't have the power. I never had the authority or the power to release people from prison. They should have done their due diligence. They should have vetted each one of those stories correctly. But no, they started by exonerating eighteen people, 22 people. I th- and the number kept growing, and I was like, "Wow, when is it going to stop? What, uh, when does it stop? How do I, how do I and, 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 and I'm sitting back and I'm watching this, and, and I say to myself, if I was just a citizen out there and I see that they're exonerating hundred and fifty seven people, And every one of them, this guy's name is attached to, I'm saying to myself, too. Oh, yeah, that dude had something to do with it. But being that dude, I get to read all those reports. Being that dude who signed those uh, case reports and those arrest reports and those and, and approved those inventories. I know it's all a lie and I know what they can do in the media. I know what they can do to your name. I know what they can do to your reputation. They don't care about me. A pawn. you're right. Because some, somebody has ambition. And their ambition is not to take care of the people at, that voted for them. is to serve those people who have a special agenda. And that's to change the legal system, the justice system. Now, now I'm not saying, I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination. There's some things wrong, yes. But do we throw out the baby with the bath water? There's a lot, there's a lot wrong with. With, with uh law enforcement there's a lot wrong with lawyering there's a lot wrong with our political system but what are they doing about it you got you you I, and, and i'm not look i'm not a politician i've been a a Democrat all my life up until recently. And I apologize for that now. <laughs> I'm an independent. Yeah.
1: You know, we appreciate the apology.
2: Yeah, I apologize. It was I, I, and it's, yeah. yeah, it was. Hey, you know, just like I had to, Hey, just like I had to do what I had to do when I joined the department. Just like I had to do what I had to do to to keep to move forward in life in 2013. And just what I and just what I have to do now, I have to I have to do what I have to do. Because they what they what they've done with all these stories, USA Today, the Sun Times and Kim, they give all these uh. Interviews, even the judge, the judge who has no knowledge, he's just reading these affidavits. He said I was uh, uh, he said I was uh, like training day. I've been called a coward. I've been called a coward. I served in the United States Army and Army Reserve for over 10 years. I was on the Chicago Police Department. I worked in the 7th District the 15th district, and the 2nd district. Ask any of those guys about those districts. Can't be a coward and work in those places.
1: You mentioned a lot of things that are wrong, and you know, lawyering, law enforcement, everybody's got flaws. Uh, And so this year I'm going to drag you into one of my controversies, and just I'm saying the number one, if we want to fix the criminal justice system, the first thing you have to do is daddy and mama have to be the first police officers that a child ever has to deal with. Officer friendly has to be daddy and mama and this broken Baby mama, single mama culture that we have, particularly among us as black people, creates so much chaos, and then we send police officers into our chaotic neighborhoods with unsupervised children who never had daddy and mama as the first police officers, and we wonder why there's so much conflict between law enforcement trying to police areas where there's no family structure. You gotta fix the family before, to me, any of these issues in the black community can really be effectively addressed.
2: I'll I'll address it in this way. Uh, You're right. But not just when it comes to policing. When these children leave their homes to attend school, they have no respect for the teachers, the administration, the principals, the the security guard, the lunchroom lady. They have no so, and and you're right. They leave home, uh, angry. They leave. Uh, they leave home without no. Uh, direction. Um, Empty about whatever that's going on in their life. And then they run across um, an authority figure and they're already angry about whatever it is. And now they run across an authority figure. um, You know, if, if, if the father's not home and And here I am, the police, uh, a a man that looked like them or looked like their father or remind them of their father. And I tell them something or I say something to them, man, they they don't jump off on me because they're angry. Because I remind them of that man that should have woke them up that morning to make sure they got off to school properly. I remind them, uh, you know, that man that maybe should sit at the dinner table with them and. And eat with them and, and pray with them and discuss life journeys with them. Like I did for my children. And I'll tell you something, Mr. Whitlock. The people who are making all these av- allegations, they're not the people that's still going to work down there on the low end, as we called it down there in the Atterby Wells. You don't you don't you don't hear these allegations from the Good citizens, as we used to call them, you don't hear that from the good citizens. You don't hear it from the the, the, the church leaders. You don't you you know uh, you don't hear it from the the uh, community leaders who the community leaders know everything that's happening down there. You know, no, you're getting this from the same people who was down there victimizing and devastating that community. Those are the people who you're getting this from, and those are the people who she's releasing back into, co- into the community. And now she's releasing them back into the community with resources working where they can do more harm to the community. As you see with Ben Baker, they can go, as they say, they can go and re-up. They can buy more drugs now. They can they can harm more families now. Remember, they're not, you know, they're selling their drugs. They're selling their drugs to their community. You know, this guy's down there. that probably going through something that probably never would have touched drugs. Start doing drugs later in life because of a difficult situation he was going through to numb the pain. And you got this guy, a street pharmacist there to give him a fix. And those are the people that they're giving these resources to.
1: So you grew up in Chicago, correct?
2: Yes. And so how old are you? I'm 59 years old. I'll I'll be 60 this year.
1: Got you. So you're the perfect person for me to ask this to where you're a little bit older than me, but not much. I'm from Indianapolis, family, friends in the Chicago area. When I think about Chicago, and Chicago is kind of a face of a lot of the dysfunction in the black community, a lot of black-on-black crime conversations focus on Chicago, but when I think about Chicago, I think of all the leaders, alleged leaders that have come out of Chicago from Jesse Jackson, to Louis Farrakhan, to Barack Obama, to Kim Fox now, or, or whatever. And, and has the leadership gotten worse over the years or was the leadership always bad and we're just dealing with the fruit of the bad leadership?
2: I'm going to answer this, this, uh, you know, I think a lot of those people you name, I think initially, initially, they started off with good intentions. Think, like you said, the leadership. But when they get into that leadership position and they get so far and it gets to the point that they've done all they could do. And so now it's either you know, uh, giving to uh, those that run, that truly run the community that's, you know, taking everything, all the resources out of the community. Uh, And and those people start thinking about their own self-interest after a while. And uh, they have to deal with that. You know, they deal deal with their own survival. Uh, You know, they still have children that they have to send to school. They still have, you know, uh, have to have a place to live uh so uh I, I, I often uh I also used to tell people that you know you know like I said I'll be 60. uh they're no more uh Malcolm X they're no more uh Martin Luther King's you know uh I, I, we we see the same faces you know all, all the time you know even uh you know I, I, even with tragedies from city to city, you know you see the same faces. The same attorneys show up. The same people show up doing the eulogy at the funeral. It's the same. You gonna tell me in those in those areas the community there don't have people that they trust, people that they know to do the eul- eulogy. People don't. They don't have lawyers in those communities, uh, I, I, whether they're black or whatever color they're. They don't have p- lawyers in those communities that they trust. They have to reach out for a, an attorney uh, three or four states over because for what? You see, when, when we talk about community and, and and I was down there, I was I was down there. I was part of the CAPS program. I showed up at all the community meetings and all that good stuff when they when they closed the projects down because that's what I was. I was a public housing tactical sergeant. I worked in public housing. I was the public housing tactical sergeant. And I attended those meetings and some of those meetings, they got heated. We had to escort people out. We had to get politicians to their cars. This was back when, um, I, I, I'm going, I, I'm going to date myself a little but I already told you I'm almost 60. I'm talking about when, when Pratt Winkle was the older woman down there when Dorothy, uh, when Dorothy Tillman was the, or the woman down there on the low end, you know, those type of people, you know, uh, when they were when they were tearing down the projects, it was a it was a mess. It, you, you had a, a lot of situations that a, 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 being the police, we, we didn't have the power to fix. We had we had so many homeless teenagers that you didn't hear about that in the, in the media kids living out of their lockers at, at the schools. You didn't hear about that in the media. You didn't hear the politicians talk about that. The kids living out of their lockers and those type of issues in, in our communities. It, it's, it's those type of things. Uh, I, I think uh, I think now uh, people, uh, you know, it's been the last 15, 20 years, maybe 30 years, maybe people they, they, they want sound bites. They want to get on TV. They want to be they want notoriety. For themselves, they want to get to the mountaintop. They don't want to take the people to the mountaintop with them. <laughs> there are no more Martin's. There are no more Malcolms. Um, I, I I I want to end
1: on this note, or just give you a chance, just for my audience. Yeah, I just want to be clear. You don't know me, Ronald, well, but I've never voted. And and because I I've, I just have a disdain for politicians and politics, probably gonna vote in the in the next election cycle. I've I've made that commitment, and 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 it's it's because I, I've I've come down where you are. I was like I, I'm just like the, the Democrats are just way too evil for me just to sit on the sidelines. But but I, I'm I'm trying. What made you realize that? being a lifelong Democrat was a mistake. And and when did you come to that epiphany?
2: Uh, in all honesty, nothing changed. I grew up, I grew up on 39th street in the Darrell homes project, uh, project housing projects, nothing changed. Uh, you still had, uh, you know, uh, people that came into the community and, uh, and left with all the resources. Uh, you, uh, I think maybe a few years ago, they just probably got a grocery store down there on 39th and King drive. Uh, there's no true, you know, the resources, uh, you know, the things that everybody talk about, how, and, 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 they talk about the resources, but we spend so much money in this country, you know, in our communities, and we we should be able to, with the leadership that we have, the people we send to Washington, the people that we do vote for, they should they should have uh, the voice of the people, and and to be able to go and bring those resources and and uh and make those situations better, make those communities better, uh, but. I don't. I don't know what happened to the resources. And and uh, Mr. Willock, I I will say this. I I still vote. I do, because I truly believe. And I'm I, you know that Democrat in me. I I vote. I don't vote straight Democrat, but I vote. And I vote because I recognize that there are some people way before me that sacrificed a lot. And I vote just. I vote because I honor that sacrifice just like i went to work every day and i honored i honor hard work because being a 60s baby we were fed that dream go to school even go to college get a degree work hard you can have that american dream you can buy you a house buy you a car you can send your kids to college you know um I, uh, I like to say, you know, it's, it's, it's true, but then it's, it's so much difficult coming from that community. You know, I, I, I thank God that I eventually through the Chicago police department, um, I received a a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. Uh, so some good things happened, uh, to me while on the Chicago police department, uh, I met a lot of good people and i uh, i I met some people I, <laughs> that i I wouldn't even drive past their house also uh, but i am saying that it's not all bad, and we when I say we as a community we still have to and and, and so what I was the police you know you know that was just my job, but I was still a father. I was still somebody's son. You have these people and these uh, with their own agendas, because they have an agenda. They want people to literally hate you because you're the police. They they talk about devaluing black people. They so I was black and the police. I was double devalued, and it's bad. It's bad when you get it from your own community. See we have to we have to get to a place again where people in those communities they don't just rely on the police they rely on their next door neighbor they rely on the the clergy in that area you know down there you got a you got a university down there on 39th street uh i i think it's northeastern or or something like that and <laughs> A lot of those people probably don't attend why so uh again it's 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 frustrating to me and and I'm sure now I probably the people that are interested in the truth they'll look into it they'll 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 because because of you and and, and this is the first time that I've actually spoke about it they'll look into it and they'll see where I'm coming from. Ronald, <clears throat> thank you for the
1: time. Uh, I'll be in touch. Because uh, I'm, I'm certainly not done looking into it. There's a lot to unpack in this story. I want everybody to read my column. It's on my Twitter feed, at Whitlock Jason. Uh, we're not done with this story appreciate Ronald making the time, but there, there's a lot of legs to this story. This goes to the heart of what's going on uh, with the American criminal justice system, what's going on with respect uh, for our Constitution and our way of life. Uh, again, Ronald Watts, just like me, a flawed person, but but the way they're using him, to to uproot our criminal justice system and make people think America is a failure and that we need a new constitution and all that, these are lies that we cannot stand for. We have to push back and fight against it. So, I would ask those of you in the audience to share my story that I've written, share this podcast. I, I gotta get you all to further engage with this fearless movement. Men, we have to stand up, or they're going to tear this entire country down. And those of you with kids, they're going to be living in a world controlled by gangs and criminals. It will come to your neighborhood. You're not gonna be able to move away from all of the madness and insanity. You may think you are, but you're not going to be able to do that. And your kids are gonna be impacted by this. All right, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow.
0: I just to just I just